This is Michelle McKenzie, and welcome to the WTF Podcast, where we demystify entrepreneurship and the fog around funding. Resilient Ventures is intentional about bringing more equity to the funded ecosystem. Their website quotes Dr. Martin Luther King's dream of one day creating an equitable ecosystem across racial lines. My guests are Keith Daniel and Tom Drugi, co-founders of Resilient Ventures, an early stage committed capital fund supporting African-American founders. In this episode, we'll discuss how they are combining social justice with venture capital, what a more equitable funding ecosystem across racial lines might look like, what early stage Black entrepreneurs need to know about the VC funding ecosystem, and three things Black entrepreneurs could do to improve their fundraising outcomes. Keith and Tom, welcome to the WTF Podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for having us, Michelle. Me too. Thank you very much. Wonderful. So let's jump into the conversation. Why did you start Resilient Ventures? I, I, I noticed that there is a social justice bent to the organization. So please tell us yeah. about your inspiration and what led you to want to bring a little bit more equity to the venture capital space. Well, sure, sure. That's a that's a a question we relive daily um, is, is our why. We often talk with our advisors and those who support us and make it clear that we started this from a, a real sense of urgency around the issue, um, the gap in funding, the struggles that African-American founders face in raising capital, starting initially from not having um, easy access to friends and family with a lot of wealth oftentimes, and a number of other factors um, that just, make it such a tragedy that today there's still uh, just a, a very finite percentage of, of early stage capital out there for founders. Fortunately, that has increased over the last couple of years in particular. But, um, you know, myself having uh, lived a life in philanthropy and higher education administration and gone into ministry careers. Um, and as you quoted Dr. King, he was thrust into the political sphere, um, which is obviously a place of power. But, you know, leading up to his assassination, he was on a course for addressing the issues of inequity around wealth. And um, we saw the opportunity to create a fund that could address at least some part of the, the issue around the, the gap in, in wealth in the African-American community in particular. Myself having spent um, a number of decades and encouraging young people from all over the country, uh, they would come to Duke University where I've lived and worked and served since um, being an undergraduate there, but we would host them for weeks and introduce them to um, uh, folks of color who were leading companies over the years and, and eventually turned to focus on pitching ideas. And it's, it's, it, it was only be ashamed that we would encourage people to pitch ideas only to find out that funding is only available to a small few. And so for me, when Tom and I first got together on our, what really was our second sort of effort to address uh, disparities and, and, and concerns about marginalization of people and uh, the exploitation of people and human capital. Uh, kind of stepped out on faith, uh, as it were. We, we, we've had 30 plus years, again, greetings everyone that's listening from Durham, North Carolina. We live in a legacy city. We live in a town that has a tremendous history, uh, amazing stories of 
of African-American entrepreneurial uh, uh, spirit and success. And unfortunately, like other places around the country, that success was, was disrupted and dismantled and destroyed in many egregious ways. So uh, having had success in our prior careers and our current careers, actually, we're still you know, managing other uh, our own interest and our own uh, intellectual capital and business businesses, we uh, uh, said, well, let's let's take action. And one way to take action is to create a fund uh, to invest in early stage founders. We originally set out, uh, we thought we, we thought we stopped more modestly with around a couple million dollars or so with Tom kind of stepping out some of his his own um, uh, discretionary capital and income. But then on a dare, someone said, well, why would you do something as that small? If, if you really want to do something, go for 10 million. And we said, okay, you know, we're non-traditional. We don't, we don't know what we don't know about how hard it is to raise a fund. We'll set it at 10 million. We landed at 3.45 or something like that. And, and we've been able to invest um, over a million dollars to date in, in just, just uh, in our, entering our fourth year. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's a bit of the why. As you know, there's always more to the story, but I, I, I probably should stop there so we can get to the other questions. But that's primary from my end. Tom may want to add. I would just only add a couple sentences and say, you know, you, we were enjoying our relationship doing the racial equity training. That was a, that was the thing we were doing. We spent two years doing that. And, and Keith had called me in when, when I came to him to do this prior thing. You know, he said, um, I don't want this. I needed him to help me develop some training material for my white peers that to help them understand racial equity. So that's how we got first involved. Um, but he called me into a relationship and we, I think we were enjoying our relationship, kind of looking for the next thing to do or something very bold to do. And um, we had a lot of bike rides where we talk about what could we do next? And I think uh, we took a bold step to try to move serious capital across the color line. That, that was kind of the best way I can encapsulate it. So. And, you know, we're, a lot of people don't understand that, I, that, that venture funds are really a startup themselves. I mean, they are people that uh, are leaving like the private equity world to start their own fund. You know, it all sounds very glamorous and like super amazing, but it's, it's really another startup. And Keith and I were both entrepreneurs and this was kind of a way of, doing what we were telling other people to do. That's a good point, Tom. So maybe you can talk about your experience raising funds and how that correlates to raising funds for the entrepreneurs that you fund. Yeah, and I think our experience trying to raise money from white investors to invest in black founders, I think does give us a very similar mindset to what a black founder has to do when they go try to get money from white investors, say. Yeah. So you talk about transforming venture capital and making it more equitable. What might that look like? Yeah, when, yeah, um, we did some research on the entire space before we started the fund, and 
one of the questions that came up was like, is the VC model even an appropriate model, right, for black founders or for anyone? Because it is when you travel in the, the circuits of, of racial equity conversations, there are many people that we know that have essentially given up on the VC or the capitalism system itself. But I would say that VC might work if it's properly applied to black founders. So where the transformation, I, I mean, I think it will work as it stands now, but what does need to be transformed is the mind of the white investor, right? So, I mean, if we applied it properly, like we apply it to white startups, it, it could be equitable, but I think we need more white investors to be called in to understand like the real landscape of how economics have worked for African-Americans. I mean, they don't really understand, you know, there was no 40 acres and a mule, post-slavery took all the rights away from people, you know, the 20th century wealth building, and that poverty is a result of American economics, not moral fa failure. So for me personally, it means that while I had no personal responsibility for 400 years of systemic racism, I have benefited from it. And so in my mindset, I feel like I'm called to be involved in restoring what was taken and repair. So that's starting with the mindset that white investors need to understand on this conversation. Black founders do not want charity or to be a project, but that often is the case. So for example, what I'm talking about, like um, applying the rules properly, like uh, for instance, will a white investor give a black founder seven attempts at bat? Like will they, will they allow a founder to really have you know, the potential to be a serial investor. If they fail the first time, are they just out? We don't, you know, if, it's a, if a white uh, founder fails, we think, oh, they learned from it. They'll be a better, they'll be better the second time because of what they, all they've learned from failure. I mean, do we apply that uh, fairly across the board or the question of, um, will we encourage them really to spend to scale like we, or Will they will an, will an investor invest in ten black founders before they say I've been there done that or you, does it just take one to say I tried that it didn't work will they invest in ten because we'll do that white investors do that with white founders um, so I think the solution is not so I guess to conclude I I think the uh, the transformation needs to be in the mind of the white investor. You know, they need to recognize colorblindness is a failed approach and to recognize that much has been taken and to be in the conversation of restoration. And if I, if I could add, or you about to. I have uh, a follow-up question for Tom and then I'll go over to you, Keith. Okay. What's required to change the mindset of white funders? What's, what's holding them back from seeing all of the things that you talked about and understanding the racial wealth gap and giving Black founders more grace and space to fail and investing in more than one Black founder who's failed before they give up and say, we've tried that and it doesn't work? What, what's holding them back? What do they need? I think our culture is so strong. There are so, some things that are so ingrained, like the meritocracy, 
um, this idea of colorblindness, uh, which was really just a pass that we give ourselves to say, if, if we just stop seeing color, racism will go away. Uh, I, I, I think that the first step is, is an honest uh, examination of the question of race in America. Um, I think that will lead. Uh, and I, honestly, I have seen uh, after George Floyd, uh, RTP Capital, which is the angel group that I'm involved in, really, um, I brought up the question and they kind of responded to it. Uh, this that was a so I think it's going to need more white leaders who will have been personally transformed themselves and are ready to step out with their peers and, and stand up for this. Thanks for that, Tom. Keith, you want to add something? Yeah, it is a, there's a lot of in directions we can go. And today, as I was telling Tom, we used and we created our pitch deck, we used the example of Jackie Robinson. And today happens to be Jackie Robinson day, 75 years ago today is when he, integrated um, Major League Baseball. And uh, I think it takes that mindset for the white investor to understand that um, there's some brilliant, we, we got, we have a brilliant community. I have so much rejoiced in reflecting on the legacy of Black Wall Street, the legacy around this country of innovators and inventors, and they haven't gone anywhere. Deal flow is not an issue. It, it really is a matter of folks um, getting support, getting the capital, getting access, just like white founders. Um, nothing special for us, you know, it's not charity. You know, you, you gotta rid the mind of, and this is difficult to do because even when we look at the narratives of when, when white, when, when folks who race of white have had power like in the major leagues and they decide, okay, we're gonna, we're going to give some access, right? We had a whole we we had a whole league of Negro players, many of whom were presumed to be even more talented and better than Jackie Robinson. But he got that one shot, right? And he made the most of it. And over time, but even we see the disparities today in ownership, and now we have legal lawsuits going over to professional football about uh, you know ascending to either higher ranks beyond the playing field. Um, and so the mindset that Tom has modeled is, is, is recognizing the tailwinds, and we use it, that's another analogy we use from cycling. When you're coasting along and, you, and you're working hard, it's not like you're not pedaling um, and maybe even exhausted from pedaling, but when you have a wind behind you, it is amazing what you can, what you can do. And most Black founders and most of us in the Black community, we've always had to face violent headwinds, right? Um, to the to the tune of like just what I call just ungodly realities when it comes to making the American dream real, and so we have a, a sense of urgency that we call as a part of the historical movement to address the inequities and in, in, in wealth. Um, and one way to do that, we talk about it whether it's home ownership, real estate, owning business, owning the own your own rights to your own music. I mean, on and on, we look at um, the tragedies and the exploitation, and we hope to be able to make a transformative change to be a part of a transformative change. Uh, but it, it, it takes a number of layers of kind of looking and analyzing how we got here from where we were, right? Especially the white investor 
um, that's funding mostly other white investors and why is asking why is that you know if the answer is there's not enough we're we're here to tell you it is it is you know plenty um, with the same levels of risk uh, but in many cases um, essentially even more value because of the commitment and the, the grind and the hustle of our community. And that's what we enjoy getting behind the founders that I know we'll, we'll get to talk about some of the um, commonalities, but I just thought I'd put that in there as well. I'm speaking with Keith Daniel and Tom Druji, co-founders of Resilient Ventures, an early stage capital fund supporting black founders and bringing more equity to the VC ecosystem. What are the top three things Black founders need to know about the VC funding ecosystem before they start fundraising. I think I, I think uh, I'll lead with that. Um, well, not necessarily different because of race, but maybe more accentuated because uh, we need to confidently walk into rooms. Um, with that, with that knowledge that that we've we've cleared the um, whatever the hurdles are to to be at a place where we're we're launching a a, um, a business solution or a business idea. It's not strictly just straight ego, but there has to be a really deep level of confidence that I have something here and it's valuable, and I understand its value, and I know how to make money from it. And that takes, you have to have a team around you to prepare you so when you walk into that room, that confidence is exuded and it's not just made up. You've run the numbers, you've done the research, you've, you know, again, in many cases, we've, we've had to go many more extra miles than white founders to, to prove that we have a, an opportunity for uh, a great, great money-making opportunity for ourselves and our investors. Um, so, so if I hear you correctly... The three things for you are confidence, a good team, and preparation. Well, you did sum that up pretty well. I was actually rolling that all into one, but that's what preachers do before we get to our three points. Um, but I would, I, I would, yeah, I, I would say amen to that. Yeah. All right. Tom, do you have your three things? The white ecosystem has changed along the lines of, you know, we didn't have serial entrepreneurs in the 80s. You know, we had one shot. I think the entrepreneurs of my generation are more like the African-American entrepreneurs of this generation in that we weren't thinking of having a second shot and we had a lot of excitement. I think as a, what I could recommend the black founder to do is just exhibit the joy of entrepreneurship because that's actually a little missing in the, with the white startups. White startups don't have as much at stake and they haven't sacrificed as much. Um, but if you, if you lead as a black founder with the, the exuberance and the excitement and the risk, I think you may be able to connect with the investor who was a founder a generation ago. That's perfectly fine, Tom. What if anything should early stage black entrepreneurs do differently when they fundraise? That's a hard, <laughs> it's hard to say do differently, uh, but I guess I would suggest that, well, let me start off with sort of saying, I guess, um, 
Everyone should be their authentic self. And you should recognize, though, that you are going to be running into the colorblind mindset. You know, white investors will have good intentions, but they are, they do come from the colorblind mindset. They have a strong philanthropic and color charity mindset. Um, they have the they have a different opinion about what it means to be coachable, which generally implies that they 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 use the word accountability instead of when when they say coachable, they're often meaning accountable instead of like being your coach or being your mentor. Um, so I think your choice is to either ignore that and just push through it or use that opportunity to call in the white investor in subtle ways. Uh, one of the things that Keith did to me when I asked him in that earlier effort to work together is he, he came right out. I asked him to help me with this project and he came right out and said, first, I, would, I don't want this to be just a project. It's not just you and me doing something together. If there's no relationship involved, he said, he used the word transactional. You know, I don't want a transactional relationship. I want a relationship. Um, and the other thing he, he did say to me, you know, that he, he identified the fact that, that he did not trust me. He just act, actually went out and said that. And uh, I could have responded in a variety of ways, but it actually made me think, it made me pause instead of responding defensively, I thought there's a lot more at stake here than I thought. So I, th I think there is an opportunity to call in the white investor to something greater than just a check. You said something interesting, Tom. It seems as if it's easier for white investors to engage in charity or philanthropy versus investment, what's the disconnect? It is, it is a underlying uh, prejudice, uh, internal. And we saw that clearly as we were raising our fund, as we were exploring the ideas of what we would do, we had a number of people tell us they almost immediately collect, connect Black founders to charity and philanthropy. We had people tell us, you shouldn't raise a fund. You should start off as a nonprofit. So there is, it's, a, it's a reality out there in the minds of our culture that you know, we can help, right? But help implies charity and philanthropy doesn't so we're constantly going up against that and telling people that our fund is not about charity or philanthropy we have to specifically point that out to people so it is an indicator and of, of the real mindset right yeah i think that's very interesting keith i'd like to give you an opportunity to tell me what you think early stage black entrepreneurs should do differently when they fundraise, if anything. Um, 
I, I think it goes back to how you summed up my, my first response. Um, the level of preparation and readiness and you understanding uh, that you need, what you need to scale, right? We, most people, when I learned, and Tom and I came out of this from not a non-traditional uh, career path to this startup that we launched. And um, in some ways it's like probably good that we didn't know all the preparation and readiness because we may not have started it. I mean, this, this is, there's a lot of detail, a lot of risk. Um, most, most will fail. Um, and it's a matter of how you respond to failure, right? And again, our name sort of, our name, I wouldn't say suggest that. It's like why we named it resilient is because you got to figure out how to adapt and nothing has been like these last couple of years about the reality of that, figuring out how to manage your business in the, in the midst of a pandemic. Um, so I, I guess I would go back to the previous question and say, it's not really different. You, you just kind of got to double down that you know what you're doing, you know how to get there, and you know how to get the people around you uh, to rally and to support your business model and venture. So we look for teams, we look for, we look for depth in advisors, like strategists, operators. And then, um, yeah, we try to look in the eye of each founder and say, I, you know, do you really have what it takes? And yeah, so going back to um, similar, similar dispositions around, you know, top three things you need to see and to do. You have a portfolio of eight companies. What are the common characteristics among all eight founders you've invested in so far? Well, first, let me, I'm going to let Tom take it off on this. I'm excited to say we actually have nine. We just, we invested in a ninth. In, in yeah, we wrote, we wrote our ninth check in, well, really not our ninth check per se, because we've done several follow-on um, investments with our current companies. But yeah, we're at nine and currently looking at, uh, in due diligence with two more. But Tom, you want to? Yeah, one of the conversations about entrepreneurship itself is, is it in your DNA or is it something you can learn, right? That goes across to everyone. But um, one of the things that I've noted, a entrepreneur has to wear seven hats. There's a book that, of, a, of a guy in our area that wrote. So don't underestimate what it takes to be an entrepreneur. You've got you've to wear you got to take every different role in running your own business. Um, but uh, in some of the things that I've observed, one of the th things I would say stands out more than any other is that roughly half of the companies that we've invested in have a scalable project that they're trying to do that's going to get them, you know, famous or go be uh, the next unicorn. Often, they are funding that project with a side, I would call it a side hustle. That's, that's not the, it's so much bigger than that. Um, like our, um, our optimals, optimal uh, company, he's in solar or he's in energy is what I would better say. But the way he's funding his next generation solar device is by putting in traditional solar farms. So he's using that division of his company to fund what he really thinks will get him the most traction down the road. Now, a lot of other companies might say, okay, you need to drop that. You need to 
put the money in the scalable part of your business. Um, we have another company, Functional Fluidics, during the pandemic, they have a red blood cell test for sickle cell, but they were making millions of dollars doing um, uh, COVID testing. So they put, they started that, he bought a machine to do COVID testing to create revenue for his company to do his, his main thing. So I, I've seen that time and time again. That's not something you generally see in white entrepreneurs. They're really focused on just their scalable thing. Um, I think in general, uh, the founders that we see have been in business longer than other white startups, given the, the place they are in their funding journey. So typically everyone we've looked at is, has been in business since 2014 and they really haven't raised any significant money in that time period, yet here they are, and they've been in business all that time. So it's remarkable the resilience that they have to stay in business with so little capital. For you know, if if as you said, if some of them have been around for so long and they've not raised funding up until this point, I could see why they'd be so excited to share all their updates with you because they finally feel as if they have in you yeah. and Keith people in their corner who are supporting them. So, and they must really have a love for what they're doing to have been at it for so long and being resilient without being able to raise significant amounts of money and having to do, as you described, start a side hustle to be able to fund the main thing that they're trying to do, which means that you're kind of working twice as hard. I will pass it over to Keith for his addition to this question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, um, it, I, I had to pause to think about what it means to see someone like me on this side. And you're, you're a founder, and you walk into a room and you say, "Oh my goodness, there's a there's a there's a person who looks like me who who's in this role," and it it's mutually affirming. It is so affirming, um, mm -hmm. and. Our founders have seen that in us. The commonality is that like, wow, we didn't know you existed and we didn't. I mean, the idea that there's a, a, a integrated found, founder company is something we, we value, we recognize. So our advisory team are highly integrated um, across the race lines, um, gender lines. Um, and our companies reflect, you know, they're, they're they're not all just solely black founders. They have teams that are global in, in reality. I mean, uh, Latina, Latino, Latinx, um, um, uh, Asian, uh, Asian um, uh, members of their teams. And uh, so that's a commonality. So, you know, we say we're focused on the, the companies that are led and founded, but um, our, our mindset is uh, we look for that diverse integrated um, uh, community to be a part of. And as you know, DNI has become more and more of an emphasis and we are often asked how do we how do our companies you know commit to that and that's uh, something we can't really force. I mean we have a board seat on a couple of companies. Um, the other companies we have um, a different type of um, uh, fin financial relationship, whether it's like a revenue share or, um, a convertible note role, um, and but they all they all really respect and, and are 
express a great deal of, of joy and gratitude that is a fund like ours that's very explicit unashamedly that we want to address the wealth gap we'd like to see um, growth in our communities and inequities to be uh, to be addressed and so that's a, a common core is uh, the diversity of our founders and what they've where they've been to schools i mean we from the acc to the ivies to the uh, to the public institutions, um, and to the historically black colleges, we got them all. And again, having been in the education space, I feel like our founders are constantly looking to learn and they're coachable. Um, they value our perspective and opinions um, and they, they expect us to give them, you know. And sometimes it's hard and difficult. We've had to face companies who have struggled through this period. Not all of them are like, rounding the bases as as well as the majority are we have a few that are are really stuck on certain bases again using the baseball analogy um but uh yeah there's a lot we could we could say that we we are um we found common ground in uh with our founders but those are the two that come immediately to mind you. thank you gentlemen as we start to wrap up I'll give you the opportunity to share your website, your social media handles, and tell the listeners how they can learn more about or apply to Resilient Ventures. Well, sure. Um, uh, our website is re resilientventures.org or re resilient-ventures.com. You can get to it in either of those, those URLs. We want to give a shout out to Creative Allies, a local um, uh, marketing um, and uh, communications agency that it just helped us um, upgrade our website significantly. Again, this is year four for us and the information on how to contact us is there. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn um, as Keith Daniel, uh, 88 is another uh, yeah part of my LinkedIn um, uh, URL as well. Not, not much on Twitter, occasionally on Facebook, um, but um, that's that's me. Um, where can where can people find you um, on the internet? I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Tom Drogi, and of course at our website Resilient Ventures. You can just Google that; it'll come up. Keith and Tom, thanks for stopping by the WTF podcast. And to our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like it, leave a rating, a review, download, or share this episode. Join us next Friday for a new episode on the Alive Podcast Network and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and more to get notified when new episodes drop. If you'd like to be a guest or sponsor the podcast, email me at wheresthefunding at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at where's the funding underscore podcast and me, your host, Michelle McKenzie on LinkedIn. Join us next Friday for another episode.